The letter is written to the first church that Paul established on European soil in the Roman province of Macedonia. It is one of the five books that the Apostle Paul penned while in prison. They're often referred to as the prison epistles. And what I love about this letter is that it was written during a time in Paul's life when he was not only in prison, but he was also tempted to be troubled by the opposition of Christian workers and false teachers. Yet, in spite of these troubles, we read this letter and see that it is breathed and it is consumed with a sense of joy and confidence. And that can only be explained by Paul's deep faith in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. And when you get it, if you can stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. And we hold in our hands the very words of God. It is inspired, breathed out by God. It is able to make one wise. It is able to revive the soul, to enlighten the eyes. This is not a book of suggestions. This is the very words of God, the very words of Christ. And it reads, not that I have already obtained this or am, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, You may be seated. Today we want to tag this text, Forget and Press. Forget and Press. Amen. Forget and press. Uh, Surely you would clearly see that the story that I'm about to tell you is in no way rooted in a desire to be viewed as a hero or to boast on a past, quote unquote, virtuous deed. In 2007, the Lord uh, graced me with the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Kingston, Jamaica. And while we, I was there, I was there with a, a number of students from uh, different schools, different universities in Michigan. And while we were there, we had a, a wonderful time in the Lord. We got to see God move in some very special and peculiar ways. Perhaps the climax of the trip uh, happened the next to last day when we went to an at-risk orphanage. This orphanage had young men most of them was teenagers from about 11 to, to 18 years old who had been uh, given away by their parents or by their family because their family thought that there was no way in which they could train or, or raise that child. Many of the boys were convicted of, of what we would call felonies and, and did some heinous crimes. They were extremely violent. Uh, in fact, they were so violent that uh, they could not own shoes or belts, anything that was sharp, uh, they were without. We pulled up to the orphanage and it was clear to us right away that Satan had set his flag there. It was very dark. There was a sense of uh, a, a demonic feel. Everybody was uptight and you, you know that God uh, was not present there. In fact, we began to interact with the director and those who were over the orphanage. And as we interacted with them, they made it very clear that the only thing that we could do while we were there uh, was, was play sports with the boys and games with the boys. At no time did they desire us to talk to the boys about Jesus or religion. The director did not believe in the, in the God of the Bible and was not a Christian. 
As we began to serve the boys and, and play with the boys in the heat of the day, I saw how the Lord began to melt the young men's heart. You just saw the, the, the scene just kind of changing from this, this dark scene to a very, very uh, light atmosphere. In fact, the, very, the director came to uh, one of the pastors that were, was there serving and said, you know, uh, I, I feel something special happening here. I, uh, would you all mind setting up apart some counselors to counsel some of our boys who are in a lot of trouble and who give us a hard time? So we did that. Midday, we began to counsel these young men. And before you know it, they asked us to preach a message and to share the gospel. And by God's grace, I was selected to preach this message. There was about 60 boys there, maybe, uh, maybe 50 boys there. And, and we got to preach and, and share the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And I remember just having a deep sense of, 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 of brokenness and hunger in my heart as I preached, as I looked upon these boys' faces and I saw helplessness. And you know, the gospel is a message of hope. The gospel is a message of joy. It is a message of peace. It's a message of reconciliation with God. And many of these boys thought that they would never have hope again, never be reconciled to God again, never have true peace. And I saw the Lord melt these young men's heart. We gave an invitation and God did a special work. About 30 of the 50 gentlemen there began to weep and to sob with tears. They began to cry out for the Lord. Our college counselors then broke off in groups of one or of two and three with young men and began to talk to them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We saw God melt their hearts. We saw their hearts soften towards the gospel. What was amazing was that even after we left, God continued to do a, a special work in these young men's heart. In fact, the director asked for uh, the, the, the director of the ministry that we went with. Uh, she, she asked him, could, 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 she, could we look into another church or another group coming in weekly to disciple or to follow up with the young men? God did a very special work. When I left the compound, I was extremely humbled and I was grateful that God had used us to minister and to experience his spirit in such a visible way. I was also encouraged by the feedback that I had gotten from our team. And for the following weeks and months ahead, the experience proved to be a source of deep encouragement and joy. But I saw how that source of enjoyment, encouragement and joy quickly turned into a poison. It quickly turned into a venomous vial. It quickly turned into a, a, a place of secret pride. That experience slowly began to change my heart. And I began to cling to that experience by making that experience a part of my identity. For the months after that, I would look back on what God had did and rather than give glory and praise to God, there was a sense of, of pride in my heart that I had accomplished something. I went from being Jamal, a, a servant of Jesus who was motivated and whose motive was to simply to grow to look like Jesus and to be used by Jesus to bring glory to God, to Jamal, a, a secretly proudful man, a man who had sinfully allowed his heart to morph into wanting praise for himself. Instead of being Jamal, a servant of God, I began to desire to be Jamal, the special evangelist who happens to give God glory. Count Zinzendorf, a wonderful preacher and profound theologian who influenced John and Charles Wesley once encouraged missionaries to Live with a contentment to suffer and a resolve to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. At that point in my life, at that point in my ministry, I was very far from living my life with the resolve to be content to suffer for Christ and to preach the gospel and die and be forgotten. You know, that wasn't on my radar at that time. And I stand and I admit that it's strange to be on my radar even now. 
But I praise God that he didn't and and he never will allow me to to stay in a state of pride. The next year, the Lord humiliated me and and deeply humbled me. He, He blessed me by disciplining me and showing me that my heart was no longer clinging to Christ and Christ alone. But it was clinging to some some past things and some secret motives. The next year we went back to Jamaica and the group that I went with, back with, uh, was there were some new faces and some, some old faces from the year before. And I'll never forget when we touched down in Jamaica and we began to talk to uh, the gentleman who was the director of the ministry that we were partnering with. I'll never forget how they received us and championed us as, as gospel ministers. They, they treated us with such a, a loyalty. And they just rolled out the red carpet for us. And I'll never forget when we were sitting on a bus after they had just flowered us with these, 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 accomplishment, uh, these, these compliments. I'll never forget feeling a sense of pride from each of our team members. A feeling like we had, we had made it and, and like we were coming back to Jamaica to save Jamaica. The director said, hey, I want you guys to do the same thing that you did last year. This time, I want you to go to a different orphanage. And we're going to do the same exact thing that we did last year. We're going to put the same game plan in place, and we're going to watch God do the same thing that he did last year. And I remember we went to an orphanage that was in Jamaica that was very similar to the other orphanage. And when we stepped on, it was a demonic, very dark shadow over the place. You sensed that these boys were lost. You sensed that they desperately needed Jesus. But I remember as we played with them and as we served them, that, that the Spirit of God did not come in. I remember the boys being very irritable and their attention spans being very short. And I remember the workers' hearts just staying cold. And as we went through the same rituals that we had the year before, still clinging to our past success, I remember them asking me to get up and to preach the gospel. And I remember God disciplining me and humbling me. I promise you it felt like I could not put together a coherent sentence. Nothing that I said flowed with ease. And I believe that was the grace of God. I believe that God was teaching me a lesson. I am embarrassed often when I think back to it because these boys' souls were in some ways at stake because of our pride and shamed. But at the same time, I'm I'm thankful that he disciplined us. Thankful that he's disciplined us. You know, John Piper says that behind every uh, frown of providence is a smiling face. Behind every frown of providence is a smiling face. And what that simply means is, is Romans 8, 28. That God works together <laughs> for the good, all things together, for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. So even when I look back at that event, my heart is, is tempted to uh, be ashamed and, and, and tempted to, to, to be upset uh, with, with myself and with the team because we uh, went in uh, expecting God to do a great work. Based upon our, our past success, I'm, I'm thankful that God is faithful in teaching us a lesson and teaching us that even in our failures, that he is faithful and that his will is being accomplished. God used that opportunity to teach me this valuable lesson, that when we rely and dwell on past experiences, we hinder our future growth. When we rely and dwell on past experiences, we hinder our future growth. God wants to challenge us as we walk into this new year to not be stuck in the past, but rather to live for the future future promise. He's saying, don't be stuck in the past. Live for the future promise. Coming into this new year is important as a church, it's important as individuals that we thank God for what he allowed us to go through in 2012. 
And we thank God for our experiences. But it's important that while we look back with thanksgiving, that we that we are not stuck there and that we continue to strive as Paul is calling us to do in the third chapter of the book of Philippians. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter three, verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, put the past in its place and reach, reach for a prize. Reach for a prize. What is this prize that Paul is speaking of of in verse 14? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is this prize and what is this upper call? Well, we know when when Paul is talking about this prize, this word that's used in the Greek would have invoked a a picture of a a prize that an, an Olympian would have gained at the end of a race. So this is a, 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 a word that would invoke a, a picture of sports, a, a picture of a professional athlete going for the, the winning reef, going for the, the winning gold, so to speak. And Paul is saying that there is a prize that should be av- very valuable to Jesus and that, to us, and that prize we should continue to pursue. And what is that prize? I think when we look at the book of Philippians contextually, and if we had time to go through uh, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we will see that that prize is simply Christ-likeness. It's really a two-fold prize, but, but first we will see that it is simply Christ-likeness. He's saying, in other words, I press on towards the goal of Christ-likeness. I, I want, my, my goal is to, to look more like Christ. My goal is to continue to progressively grow to, to be and to look like Jesus. That is the ultimate prize. And why is that the ultimate prize? That's the ultimate prize for a, a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the ultimate prize uh, because Jesus has done some marvelous things for us. And what is the marvelous thing that Jesus has done for us? What are some things that he's done? Mainly, verse 12, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, I, I press all on for, for Christ's likeness because Christ pressed on for me. I continue to strive and to press and to reach towards Christ because Christ spent his life reaching towards me. That's the ultimate prize. Christ's likeness. And it's the ultimate prize because of what Christ has done for us. Not only is Christ's likeness important, because of what he's done for us, not only should we continue to reach for because of what he's done for us, but we should continue to reach of it because of who Christ is, who Christ is. In 2013, our goal should be to grow, to look more and more like Jesus. Minister Maceo preached that we should have a new life resolution and that new life resolution is to imitate God, to, to walk in light, to walk in love and to walk in wisdom. Paul is saying the same thing here. And we must forget the things that's past. And we must press on to look like Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done reaching for us. But also because of who he is. Philippians chapter 4 and 8 declares who he is. It declares that he is truth. It declares that he, Jesus, is honorable. It declares he, Jesus, is just. It declares that he is pure. It declares that he is lovely. It declares that he is noble, commendable, that he is excellent. The reason we press on to look like Jesus because Jesus is not just beauty, but Jesus uh, isn't just beautiful, but Jesus is beauty itself. Jesus isn't just a person of justice. Jesus is justice itself. Jesus isn't just loving. Jesus is love. And what better thing to pursue, to press forward, to pursue than Jesus? God loves us so much. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that he wants all of us to look like him. It says that God, when we become saved and God gives us a new heart, 
that he goes into doing a new project in all of his children's life. And that, that project is simply to conform us to the image of his son. Why? Because his son is dope. <laughs> because his son is good. Because his son is beautiful, noble, honorable, just. God wants us to re- resemble Christ. But we also pursue Christ's likeness in order that others uh, would, be, would come to know Jesus. That others would come to know Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. I'm going to be honest. Every time I read this passage and read Romans chapter 9, verse 1 and 3, something weird happens in my heart. And I haven't decided if it, if it is uh, a good weirdness or a bad weirdness. It, it may be sin. Uh, or it may be righteous indignation or uh, a, a desire for deep holiness. But look what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. This is one of his motives for pressing towards the goal of the prize of, of the upward calling. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you see that? For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with mindset on earthly things. Paul continues to press towards this prize, to press towards Christ's likeness because Christ pressed for him because Christ is worth it and beautiful but also because he is burdened with the lostness of this world. He says, I am not going to allow my past success to be what I live off of. I'm not going to allow my, my past victories to, to, be, uh, to, to keep me stuck in the past. But he says, I'm going to press because I want to look like Jesus. I'm going to press because Jesus looked like me. I'm going to press because there are some people who are headed towards destruction. Some people are headed towards hell. And he says, I'm in tears. As I write this to you, Romans chapter nine, verse one through three, Paul tells the church at Rome, he says, listen, if I could anathemize myself, if I could cut myself off from the body of Christ in order that you would be saved, in order that the Jews would be saved, I would do so. His heart was so passionate for the loss that he said, if I would go to hell, if God would send you to heaven. Paul's brokenness for the loss. That's Paul's desire to see Jesus. And as I I read this, sometimes I'm put to shame. I I mulled over this all week long and I just began to cry out, Lord, give me a passion for the loss that that makes me cry when I think about it. Give me a passion for Newburgh that that invokes a, a, a deep emotion. Not for the sake of emotion, not for the sake of, 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 of being all sensitive and mushy and broken, but for the sake of reaching towards you, for the sake of wanting more of you because you have reached towards me. Paul wants people to come to know Jesus wants people to give their life to pursuing him, to chasing him. Now, (laughs) there are two types of of people in here today. There are persons who are 
actively pursuing Christ-likeness, and there are persons who are not. And by actively pursuing Christ-likeness, I don't mean just coming to church and being religious. I mean, there are people in this room who are either pressing towards that, that prize, that upward call in Christ Jesus, or those who are not. And some of us who are not, we're not because we're still stuck in the past, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's important that we understand that there's only really two reasons why we are in those two categories. One, either we are just spiritually immature and babes in Christ, or two, we have never been captured by Christ. That's exactly what Paul goes on to say in this text. Look at what he says. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any thing you think other if anything you think otherwise God will reveal that also to you only let us hold to what is true and what we have attained he said let let those of us who are mature think this way let those of us who are mature let us be uh, let us be committed to pursuing Christ likeness because of what we have obtained the salvation that we've obtained there's only only two people in here uh two types of people either those who who are pursuing Christ-likeness because they are mature, or those who are not pursuing Christ-likeness because they are immature, or possibly because, they're not, because you're not saved. Either we are actively pursuing Christ-likeness, or we're not. But the good news is, the good thing is, is that if we are immature, if we are in that, that category of, of not pursuing Christ because we we just aren't spiritually mature, that God is not going to leave us that way. Just as God did not leave me in Jamaica to have success on that second trip, God is not going to leave you where you are because God is committed to making you look more like Jesus if you're his. That's what Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm confident of this. If you have been grabbed by Jesus, if you have been obtained by Jesus, God will make you look more and more like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see that? God tells us to pursue Christ-likeness by walking with a deep sense of awe towards Christ, a deep sense of reverence and fear towards God. He says, you pursue that, you run after it, but here's the gospel, here's the good news. That it is God who is ultimately working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God says, our job is to pursue Jesus, but God, through his spirit, gives us what we need to pursue him. And that's what Paul talks about here in his text. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. The, the upper call looking like Christ. Is a call that's only received for those who are in Christ. I heard it wonderfully illustrated uh, about being in Christ, a proposition that, that the Apostle Paul constantly used throughout his letters. You read the book of Ephesians, starting in, in chapter 1, you'll see this term used over and over and over. Those who are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Uh, imagine that I, I told you that I wanted to fly and that I believe I could fly. And imagine as a, for a New Year's celebration that I uh, went on the top of, roo of on the roof of Forest Baptist Church and you all gathered and at 11.59 I said, I'm going to jump into the new year. All right? If, if you all care a little about me and if you're imitating God and loving me, <laughs> then you're going to say, Pastor, you're delusional. What did you have for dinner? Right? Because humans can't fly by themselves, right? So if I jumped off the roof, I'm not flying, I'm falling. I may go up for a second, but I'm going to come down, I'm going to hit the ground. 
But if you took me and I told you that I'm going to fly into the new year and you drove me to Louisville's airport and watched me get into a plane, you will be confident that I am going to be able to fly because I am in a plane. For Christians, when Paul says that we are in Christ, this is not something that we should just gloss over and say, oh, yeah, I know. But that's something we should look at and say the Apostle Paul is trying to remind us that because we are in Christ, we can do things with Christ and for Christ that we could not do on our own. We can press towards this prize. We can pursue Christ's likeness. We can be made to look more like Jesus. We can embody the fruits of the spirit, not because we are strong in and of ourselves but because we are dwelling in the one who has all strength. That's why Paul messed around in Philippians chapter 4, 13. He's talking about contentment, and he's, he's talking about how he's learned to be content, and he goes on to say that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? He says, because I'm not jumping off a roof in my own strength, but I am in a plane. I'm in Christ. Some of you are thinking, Christ likeness, I've been trying this for years, but have you been trying it through Christ's power or through your own. Paul says this, this is the way that the mature think. The second part of this, this prize that Paul is talking about, the first is, is Christ's likeness. Uh, the, the second part, I believe, the twofold part that Paul is talking about with this prize is, is, is glorification. It's, it's Paul is telling us that that the prize is us looking like Christ on this earth, but the prize is also one day us seeing Christ and us receiving a glorified body, a glorified state where we are no longer able to sin and when we are no longer pulled to the ground by our flesh. That's what he goes on to say in verse 20, chapter 3, but, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the prize. Seeing Jesus Christ is the prize. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul said, this is what I'm pressing for. This is what I'm straining for. This is what I'm striving for. Christ likeness and to one day see the face of Jesus. While I was in Chicago, I stopped by a coffee shop to do some leisure reading and some studying. And, and uh, a young lady saw me with uh, my Bible out and some books out and, and began to engage in conversation. And she said, this is really weird. Um, I'm, in, I'm here all the time at this coffee shop and I, I never see people reading the Bible. And she sat down for a second, and I was like, whoa, sister, I'm just sit down. <laughs> about to call Ann, but like, Ann, if you happen to come, <laughs> about to make a quick move, but if you happen to come, I promise. <laughs> this ain't an X, amen. <laughs> so I, I quickly proceeded to hurry up the conversation and began to talk about how God had made me alive in Christ and, and how it's a pleasure to read about Jesus and to learn about Jesus. And, and she asked me, she said, but what is, what's the goal? What's the end point of being a Christian? What is it that you're striving towards? And I thought about this text. And I said, one day seeing the face of Jesus. One day being a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a kingdom that will not be broken. One day being a part of a kingdom where I no longer cry tears of, of mourning and grief, but tears of gladness. One day being in a kingdom where cancer and AIDS do not reign. One day being in a kingdom where marital problems no longer exist. One day being in a kingdom where I am no longer innately selfish and self-centered, but I have been made to be like Jesus. My goal. The end goal is to see Jesus. But if we're going to get to that end goal and if we are going to, to go to heaven and crash into heaven on fire for Jesus, it is because we have been exercising and disciplining ourselves to forget. To forget. The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to 
what lies ahead. Paul is calling us as Christians to have the discipline and the ministry of forgetfulness. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we see God constantly calling Israel to remember. Constantly telling Israel whenever they did something, whenever he did something for them to to set up an altar, to set up some rocks, to name the place in order that they would teach their children what God had done for them. He says, remember, remember. Throughout the Psalms, we see David singing to the Lord about the the awesome deeds that God has done. Paul is not contradicting scripture. He is not telling, uh, contradicting David and what God told Moses. But rather, when he calls us to discipline ourselves to forget the past, he is calling us to not rely upon and to dwell on past experiences. To not dwell on them in a way that births spiritual pride, laziness, or even despair. To not be like I was in 2007. To not allow my heart to relish and to find its identity in anything other than what Christ has done for me. That's what Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 8. He goes and he tells the church at Philippi all the great things that God had done, that he had been able to accomplish before Christ. He goes and he tells them this awesome pedigree and he shocks the church at Corinth, uh, at Philippi, and he says, guess what? I'm not telling you this because I am holding on to these accomplishments, but rather I am telling you this because I have done something radical. I now count my past victories. I now count my virtuous deeds in the past as dumb. All of our hearts, the human heart, is constantly trying to cling on, constantly trying to add something to our identity. When we are saved, we receive a gospel identity, a new identity. We are new creatures. We we cherish not our own works, not our own righteousness, not our own good deeds, but we cherish Christ and his righteousness and his good deeds alone. Because we are made to see that even our best deeds before God is as filthy rags. And we are justified, we are made right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. But the human heart is constantly trying to add things to our gospel identity. Paul is saying, if you are going to be successful in this Christian walk, made to look more like Christ, it is because you have disciplined yourself to forget Forget two categories of things. Number one, to forget spiritual victories and virtuous deeds. To forget spiritual victories and virtuous deeds. Some of us, we want to go into 2013, and I'm glad we are ready, right? Some of us, we're still holding on to victories. We're still stuck in the past. And we've kind of made a camp in the past. Some of us, our camp is baptism. That was our first victory when we went down into the water. And we're still stuck in baptism. And when somebody talks to you about your Christian walk and what God is doing, or, or they try to challenge you maybe on some inconsistencies in your life, you say, oh, but I was baptized in 1972. Don't judge me. I'm a Christian. I was baptized. You're clinging to the past. A past victory. Some of us, we're clinging to the, I used to do this ministry. God is saying you need to be pressing, straining, working to look more like Christ. Working to have a heart that breaks for those who are lost, but we're still camped out. Sister, why, why are you not involved in church? Why, why only see you the second Sunday of the month? Well, pastor, you know I'm... I'm getting a little older right now. This, that's really not my season. I used to be. Look at his neighbor say, neighbor, don't be stuck in the past. Look at somebody and say, if they don't look at you, say, I know you convict. I'm going to look at your forehead, neighbor. Move from the past. Look at somebody else because your neighbor just said, look at them and say, neighbor, forget the past. Press towards the prize. Oh, but I, you, Pastor, you don't know. Shoot. I used to be on five committees. Secretly, everybody wanted me to be the pastor. 
because I was always doing stuff. But I figured, you know, I was getting a little up in age. You know, I'm 35 now. And I just thought I'd let some of the young folk do it. Uh Uh-uh. We press. We press. Well, Pastor, you know, I used to come to Sunday school. Uh Uh-oh. I used to come to Bible study. But I kind of got to a place in my Christian walk where I feel like I kind of know everything that's being said. And when I come to church on Sunday, it's really not for me, it's for everybody else. Because somebody say, neighbor, you better forget the past. It's the exact opposite of the attitude Paul had in Philippians chapter 4. Turn your Bibles really quickly to Philippians chapter 4. Actually, I said Philippians, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go there real quick. Let's look at Paul's mindset. Paul writes this letter to, to Timothy late in his life. From reading this letter, you get a sense that he knows that he is going to die and go home and be with the Lord soon. And look what he writes. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus... When you come, verse 13, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Treos, also the books, and above all the parchments. Above all the parchments. At the end of the Apostle Paul's life, you know what he's calling for? He's calling for more of the word. He's saying, I don't have my word with me. I don't have my parchments, which was uh, a very expensive uh, of, uh, of paper, so to speak. <laughs> uh, he says, bring them. I, I need to do some, some writing, some journaling. I need to, to get into the word. Why? Well, he tells us in Philippians, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I have not yet apprehended. This is Paul who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Said, I'm going to forget my spiritual victories and my virtuous deeds, and I'm going to continue to grow like Jesus because I will only be made to look like Jesus when Jesus appears. Why? Because I'm a chief of sinners. What what spiritual victories are you holding on to? What things do you look back when someone confronts you to grow in Christ? If I was to confront you and grow in Christ, what would be the first thing that you yell out? Because that's where your identity is. What's the thing that when you lay down on a pillow at night and you try to justify your walk with God or you think about your walk with God, what's the the first things that, that come to mind? How do you satisfy your conscience? 2012, we are tempted to rely upon and to bring those things into 2013. And as a result, it will fester and become either pride in our heart or laziness. Thankful for what God has done at Forest. This year was a great year by God's grace. This year we had a a fabulous, uh, so many things that we can point to. We had a fabulous VBS. This year we were able to take care of our seasoned saints more than ever. We were able to provide for the community in a a number of different ways. Our our food bank in the back is is just growing and and more people are are seeking help. This year we saw some of you come out and, 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 and step out in faith and use your spiritual gifts. By God's grace, we went on multiple mission trips. By God's grace, financially, we're doing well. By God's grace, he is allowing Forest Baptist Church to be a light in this community. But we have to forget those things. And we've got to go into 2013 hungrier than ever as a church. And say, I praise God for those victories and those virtuous deeds But we've got to press towards the prize. 
the Dallas Mavericks won the championship two years ago. And right after winning the championship, their owner completely dismantled their team. Uh, he, he was satisfied that, they, that he brought a, a, a title to the city. And since then, they've been on a losing streak. Dirk Nowitzki has just kind of given up, it seems, because he's stuck in the past. Not only do we want to look past those, those virtues and those victories, but also we want, to, uh, we want to forget our sin and our failures. Some of us, we, we're not growing in Christ's likeness because we're still holding on to stuff that God forgave us of. Still feeling guilty over something you did in the beginning of 2012. Still feeling guilty of something that you did two to, to five years ago. God is telling you to forget the past and to press towards the prize. Believe the gospel. Believe Romans 8 and 1. Believe that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believe that Jesus is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteous. Believe that he is our high priest and our advocate. Stop dwelling on your past failures. I'm going to say this. Stop romanticizing your past failures. Uh-oh. Forget what is past and press or strain towards the goal. Some of us, the reason we're not growing in Christ's likeness is because we have not committed to be all in. We're like Lot's wife. God is calling us. He's saying, yo, delivering you from this stuff, delivering you from this field. Keep looking forward. Keep focused. And you're going to grow and experience me. But, but, but some of us, we just haven't made up our mind to do that. Because we're romanticizing the past. Have you ever seen a movie Midnight in Paris with Woody Allen? Owen Clark. Y'all don't know good movies, I'll tell you. It was recently remade, and, and one night it was nothing at the Red Box, so we watched it. <laughs> but it's a story about this, this guy who's a, uh, who, who, who's a writer. And he, he loves Paris. He's a historian. Loves Paris and, and he loves uh, uh, authors from the past. So he's in Paris with, I believe it's his fiance or somebody. Uh, and he's just romanticizing about how it used to be in Paris. So one day he goes to a square late at night and all of a sudden, magically, it turns back into the old Paris that he romanticizes. And he goes back, he has a great time. The next night he comes back and he does the same thing. He does it for a few more nights. All of a sudden he starts seeing that people back then was just as trifling. People back then was, was just as pitiful. That the past had its problems too. And some of you, you're, we're not moving on to Christ's likeness because we, 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 we've convinced ourselves, Satan has sold us the lie that it was better back then. It was better when you didn't know Jesus. Oh, it was better when you was with your ex and you can't press into your marriage. You can't enjoy Christ likeness with your wife or with your husband because you're still stuck in the past. Let me tell you something. They are an ex for a reason. The reason you left there behind in the past is because all y'all did was argue and fight. The reason you left them in the past is because they were miserable and you were miserable. But Satan likes to come up to us and lie to us. Mad with my spouse or mad that God, uh, maybe uh, disappointed that I don't, don't have someone in my life. So reflect on that path. Well, at least back then. <laughs> at least little Johnny back then. At least little Rachel back then. Paul says, forget it. Press. And Facebook has done a number on, on us. Huh? Get on Facebook. See people who aren't saved. See all their pictures up. 
<laughs> like, man, they party every night. <laughs> they smiling every day, all day. They are living it up. And Satan tells us that's how it used to be. That's not how it is. Behind those photos and those cheeses and those stances and that party is brokenness. It's lostness. It's confusion. Forget the past. They're next for a reason. Forget the past. God pulled you out. It was darkness. Forget the past failures. He's forgiven you. Forget the past victories. It was great, but God has more for you. Stand to your feet. I want you all to turn around and face the back. Now, who can tell me what I was doing while you faced the back? (laughs) So I was making faces? Somebody tell me what I was doing while you faced the back. Nobody can tell me what I was doing while you were faced backwards? Justice, can you tell me? Huh? What'd she say? I was, that's right. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I was. But that's how many of us are as Christians. We're not growing in Christ's likeness because we hadn't made up our mind to forget the past. While y'all was back there doing that, I was doing push-ups. <laughs> and y'all missed me struggling to do 10 push-ups. <laughs> Because y'all were stuck on the back. God is saying, listen, in 2013, I've got some great things in store for you. I've got some more Christ-likeness to add to you. I've got some more shaping to do to you. I've got some more healing to do for you. I've got some some better peace to give you. I've I've got more joy to give you. I've got some, some things that you, you, haven't, you haven't yet received, but you won't receive them if you're not looking at me. Remember, Paul says the upward calling. He didn't say the downward calling. He said the upward calling. Forget the past. Put the past in its place and reach towards the prize. So what's some things that's, that's holding you back from Christ's likeness? What's some things that you are holding on to in your heart? I want to encourage you to give them to Jesus. And you can give them to Jesus if you're in Jesus. Because you can fly. You can have success with him. Now, if you walk out of here and try to do it in your own strength, according to your own plan, You're going to fail. You're going to fall. Forget the past. Some of us, we have some, some decisions, some choices to make. The Lord's calling you. He's saying, 2013, you've got to lay down some baggage. You've got to lay down some baggage. That was probably last, last Christmas, uh, being, being transparent. Uh, last, around Christmas holiday, uh, one of my, I'm talking about old, old girlfriends, shot me a message on Facebook. Tell my wife, shot me a message on Facebook. I'm letting you know I'm going to respond quickly to her and, uh, and move on. 
But that was Satan. <laughs> I was just thinking about you. <laughs> I remember when we was 15, 16, around Christmas, I saved up for those Timberlands you like. Satan wanted me to get stuck in the past. Start reminiscing, romanticizing. A period of, of darkness. Forget about the fights, the arguments, the pettiness. And to think about a few good moments. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe the Lord is calling you to delete somebody on Facebook going into 2012. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Maybe the Lord is, is telling you to, to forget the ministries that you were once in and to look at where you are now and to step out on faith and get busy. Yeah. Jesus told, told the disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, he says, no one who sets his hand to the plow and who looks backwards is worthy of the kingdom. And I, I, I don't believe that, that Jesus was condemning people to hell who struggle and who sometimes look back. But he's saying, we are not living up, we are not walking worthy of our call if we're walking like this. What's some things that you, can, that you need to leave in the past? Pastor of Cable Baptist challenged this church with a very encouraged word, encouraging word. He said, move from this mountain. Mm-hmm. My brother preached. <laughs> we were encouraged. He walked on our pews. I was so glad some trustees wasn't here that night. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> My question for you is, is, have you moved from that mountain? How do we, how do, we do that? Stay standing. I'm just going to close with this, this last scripture. Paul has already said it. Listen to this. Close your eyes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God is calling us to lay aside every way, lay aside every sin, lay aside every victory, past virtuous deed, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to press, to strain. Christian life is not easy. Paul says it's a strain. Some of us, the reason we are stuck is because we think that we shouldn't be going through stuff. And we think that, that somehow we've done something wrong or God is doing something wrong because things are so difficult. If somebody tells you that the Christian life is easy, they have lied to you. And if you believe that it's supposed to be easy, you are delusional. Paul tells us it is a strain, it is a press, it is hard work. It's not easy. As Christians, we need to be real. And we need to tell people it's not easy. We need to tell the person sometimes next to us, I'm struggling. We're in war. When we step into 2013, 
We are stepping into a brand new year, brand new grace, brand new mercies, but we are also stepping into a battlefield. And our enemy desires to sift us as wheat. And there are demons. Satan himself wants to tear us apart. But praise God for Jesus. Our intercessor. The Bible says, as Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you. The Bible says that Jesus is interceding for us. Praise God for Jesus. That through Jesus, we can accomplish what we could not accomplish in our own strength. Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was with his disciples and he told them to sit and to pray. And the Bible says that Jesus went a little farther. I'm so glad that he went a little farther. We're going to close out in just a moment. But what I want us to do is is actually do something that that some of you may be uncomfortable with. And that's fine. If you're not comfortable with it, uh, you can you can stay seated or you can pray. However, this this is a a church and uh, the Bible says that the church should be called a house of prayer. Uh, I want us to to get in groups of, of three, threes and fours. And at this time, I just want you to take prayer requests as you look back. On 2012, as you look back on the past, what are some, what are some things that, that you want to leave? What are some victories? What are some things? You don't have to share those, but, but, but know those things and pray that God would, would help you to forgive. But also, I want us to take prayer requests with, with one another. If you don't feel comfortable praying, you don't have to pray. But let's go into 2013 prayerful. Let's go into 2013 not afraid to talk to our Father in community.